Hi, I'm Addie George with Plan Sponsor Consultants, and I will be one of your hosts here on the Plan Sponsor Consultants podcast. We strive each week to bring to light a topic relevant to those who administer a retirement plan for their employees. Today, we're going to be talking about inertia and two automatic features that may be solutions to inertia. And no, I don't mean an object at rest will stay at rest, although maybe I do. But regardless, we're not going to be talking about physics today. We're going to shape this in light of the retirement plan and participant behavior. With that introduction, let me bring in Mike Kane, the founder and managing director of Plan Sponsor Consultants. Hello, Mike. In addition to his other credentials that we've talked about on the show before, Mike spent some time specifically studying behavioral finance. And as always, remember that this information is designed to educate plan sponsors, but is not intended as authoritative guidance or tax or legal advice. Each plan has unique requirements, and you should consult your attorney or tax advisor for guidance on your specific situation. You can find out more information about today's topics and all of our topics and our firm on our website at plansponsorconsultants.com. So Mike, today we are diving in to the topic of the first behavioral finance principle. Thanks, Addie. Uh, behavioral finance principles are an important element as we study participant behavior and aim to assist plan sponsors in creating retirement plans that encourage positive outcomes for our, for our participants and also how you as plan sponsors can engage participants. No doubt. So today we're talking about just one of these principles. We're just talking about inertia for today to get us started. Yeah, uh, behavioral finance principle that we refer to as status quo bias. Think about those tasks that end up on a to-do list and roll over day after day after day until they get crossed off because of lost importance or it's too late. I know everyone has one or more. Examples outside of participant behavior are endless. I think everyone can think of some examples of this in their own lives, just like that graduation card that was sitting on your desk after it came back needing postage. Yep, that's a great example. And examples outside of participant behavior space are endless again. I'm sure that every one of our listeners today can think of plenty of examples outside of participant behavior. So let's bring this back for just a second and talk about what participant behavior specifically, what are we looking for where inertia can cause some challenges? Um, really, we want to look at two or three sort of diverse groups here, in my opinion. We want to look at those new hires or newly eligibles that we want to get enrolled in a plan. And the second group are those existing participants that want to take some sort of positive action uh, be it an increase in their savings rate or diversify their polio, portfolio, whatever that action is we want them to take. And the third group would be eligible, non-participating, but we'll get to that group in another episode. So let's start with enrolling in the plan, and let's touch a little bit on some of the advancements that have come out really in relatively recent years, given the age of the industry to help facilitate this. And what I'm really talking about here is how we've tried to make this easy for people in the industry. Yeah, one of the first steps that the industry and the record keepers took was to simplify this process for participants and for plan sponsors, frankly. Many record keepers have provided links to online enrollment. Most have single checkbox enrollment forms and just generally shorter forms uh, to help get someone enrolled with just basic information. If an employer has an HR 
IS system, like, you know, say Workday, a lot of identifying information is also pre-filled. With the simplified enrollment procedures came into the, in the introduction of new default and the Safe Harbor Qualified Default Investment Alternative, or QDI, which were part of the Pension Protection Act of 2006. The concept of the QDIA was to get folks fully invested in a professionally managed one-stop diversified asset allocation versus do-it-yourself. The research leading up to that Pension Protection Act showed that people were in two or three asset classes, maybe four or five investments, and it was some high percentage that was a money market or stable value. So it marked the change of uh, from capital preservation to permitting investments like target date uh, funds, managed accounts, or even balanced funds. This is a way to help people get people fully enrolled and not paralyzed by some lengthy investment decision-making process. This was the very first stage to simplify the enrollment process for potential participants. Great. So like you said, we've seen over the past years this simplification and lots of information in that regard. But from what you're telling me, those steps really haven't done anything for inertia in and of itself. I mean, we still need somebody to go from that position of arrest, so to speak, and take an action back to that card that sat on your desk. It was very simple for you to fix it. It still means the inertia of actually taking the action. Right. And uh, exactly, Annie. For a realized case study of inertia, we can look at a study between Germany and Austria with regards to or, to uh, organ donation. And, you know, culturally, these, these two companies are very similar, but in their approaches to organ donation, very different. Uh, in Germany, you have to check a box saying yes to opt-in organ donation Whereas in Austria, the box is set to no to opt out for becoming an organ donor. So again, culturally, they're very similar, but the results uh, in terms of their approach were very dissimilar. So the results are dramatic. In Germany, we had to check a box yes to become an organ donor. Only 12% of the people did that. Conversely, in Austria, where you had to check the box no, only 1% did it, or 99% were or became organ donors. That is fascinating numbers and really speaks to the opt-in versus opt-out discussion. And that's terminology we use in the industry still, um, especially regarding enrollment. So what is a plan sponsor to do? What? Well, that's where we get into one of the more highly recognized solutions to inertia, which is auto-enrollment. We know that the majority of plan sponsors are already utilizing auto enrollment, which became part of the, of the uh, Safe Harbor and the Pension Protection Act in 2006. But, but for those that aren't as familiar or don't utilize auto enrollment already, let's just take a second and break down what auto enrollment is and how does it work. Okay. Well, just to keep it simple, uh, this is a plan provision that you'd add to your plan document after having spoken with your record keeper and advisor, whereby your newly eligible employers are automatically enrolled into the plan at a give, given deferral rate, typically 3%, although we would recommend 6 because 3% uh, is not going to get you to retirement. 
And then they received several notices from the record keeper, typically both in paper and digital form, informing them that they're not going to be that they're going to be enrolled and giving them an opportunity to opt out if they don't want to participate. And so I take it from that same inertia element, it sort of kicks in and the majority of people stay enrolled, correct? Correct. So we've transferred the piece that requires action. Yep, and uh, that, that's correct. And the, the statistics in the most recent studies that uh, have been completed on auto-enrollment, on opt-in and out, opt-out, we're 92% uh, on the opt-out, okay? Mm-hmm. So only 8% disenrolled, if that's the right term. And under opt-in, it was 27%. Also, just an aside about automatic enrollment while we're talking about it, we mentioned safe harbors, which were created to protect plan sponsors under the PPA in 2006. Auto enrollment has a safe harbor. It's one of these. And an additional benefit of auto enrollment for plan sponsors is that it aids in the annual plan compliance testing by having less HCEs receive excess contributions from testing failures. While auto enrollment is not for all employers, it is something to consider. When we began this episode, we talked about inertia impacting both new hires who we want to get enrolled, but also current participants. So let's talk about them for a little bit. Okay. So we definitely don't want to forget about this segment of our participant population, right? And while they're already enrolled in plan, they certainly still are impacted by inertia. While they're already enrolled, they still need to consider making positive changes in their plan, like increasing the deferral rate or selecting a proper asset allocation. At a minimum, something as simple as keeping their contact information up to date, especially email addresses. Yeah, this could tie into another issue that we've already discussed on a previous episode of this podcast dealing with missing participants. For the sake of today, let's talk about increasing deferrals because this is a a pretty easy example to look at. And I think everyone listening can attest that while we enroll most people typically at 3%, that's very rarely sufficient for successful retirement, as you've already implied, Mike. So to reach a successful retirement readiness level, most participants are going to have to increase their deferrals at some point. What deferral percentages do behavioral finance folks recommend? Adding as a minimum 10% contribution, including both employer and employee deferrals. It all depends your age, compensation, etc. But 10% certainly if you begin in your 20s. And savings overcomes a lot of uh, investment faux pas, so to speak. Um, on, a, on financial education and educating employees about these different su- subjects of saving for retirement, and retirement readiness, record keepers and advisors have spent plenty of money on the education and conducted thousands of you know sessions for participants. Some of these go, go well, some of course don't. And in, uh, in other episodes, we'll talk about our obstacles for saving through retirement. But for now, let's assume that education resonates with someone they want to increase their deferral percentages. Now what? Now they have to go and do it. But that's where inertia continues to to be a challenge. And, of course, we've skipped over the inertia challenge of even getting them to the education session to begin with. So what's one thing in the industry after education that has been introduced to help 
with this challenge, especially for those that were maybe auto-enrolled at a given rate and have never increased? I believe where you're going with this is the concept of auto-escalation. Exactly. So can you tell us a little bit about what is auto-escalation? So, uh, again, it's like auto-enrollment. This is a plan feature that you write in or amend in your plan document. Again, with consultation with council or record keepers, advisors, uh, whoever you're depending upon. And after determining that it's good for your, pl for your plan and basically automatically increasing the deferral percentage of any individual who is automatically enrolled and not making an election of their own, even if that election was to remain at 3%. So, for example, Joe is auto-enrolled at 3%, and he doesn't do anything with his account for a year. The next year, his deferral rate would be increased to 4%. Conversely, Jane was auto-enrolled at 3%. She logged in and made the conscious election to remain at 3%, so she would not be escalated in the new year automatically. Exactly. And, and there's some planning that can go into this, but often plan sponsors will time escalations to match uh, with raises or cost of living increases to decrease the effect felt by participants uh, in their end take-home pay. That makes a lot of sense. And as we mentioned, there are some safe harbors around both auto-enrollment and auto-escalation to help protect a plan sponsor and to facilitate in offering, offering these automatic features if they're a fit for your demographics. To wrap up today, we can again invite you to find more information on our website at plansponsorconsultants.com, and we'll see you the next time here on the Plan Sponsor Consultants Podcast. This is Mike Kane and Addie George signing off.